Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Let's turn now to uh, the first chapter of Nehemiah. Now this is, uh, I'm wanting to spend, I think it's going to be two weeks, uh, just speaking a little bit about us as a local church. Uh, from time to time we do need to reflect and, and think about where we are and where we're going. And so this message this morning is, is the beginning of that. And then, uh, God willing, in, in two weeks' time, I'll be presenting a second message. But Nehemiah chapter 1, just the first uh, three verses. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Uh, Just so far, the reading of the word. Lord, we come again this morning and Brad has already prayed. We've come this morning, Lord, to, to hear a word from you. And Lord, turning to this particular passage this morning, praying that you would help us in the application of it as we reflect back on Nehemiah and your work through him and in him. And may that work, Lord, as you have done so over thousands of years, that you would continue to do so among us, even here this morning, as we consider ourselves as a local church, ourselves as individuals, knowing, Lord, we struggle in the kingdom where there is conflict of darkness against light. But we know, Lord, that light will prevail, that you have conquered, and that you are king. And may we even see something of that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to introduce the message this morning, I was thinking uh, of my reaction just last Tuesday. I received a message that my son had been assaulted by some protesting, well, a protesting mob at Gray's Hospital in Peter Maritzburg. Now, weeks have unfolded, and, and I, I see now, while it is true that many others medical staff and members and patients, uh, different people's lives have been disrupted and and threatened. Uh, My concern has been mostly for Josh. Why is that? It's my son. But to ask that question, and I want us to think about that, Why, why the particular concern for my son, some interest, but less interest in so many other people across the country who were injured, and I believe even some patients have lost their lives during those protests. There's a a quote that I've mentioned a number of times, and I want to mention it again this morning. It's a quote from an essayist by the name of Hazlitt. He says, The smallest pain in my little finger generates more mental concern in me than the destruction of thousands of my fellow men. I remember that because it's true. 
certainly true of me. It's a sobering reminder to me, and I hope to you this morning, that the small, or how small, how selfish, and how narrow my concern extends in a world filled with pain, hardship, disappointment, and brokenness. I have concerns. I'm sure you have concerns. And I don't know if you ever analyze your prayers, your daily prayers, but I, I'm often challenged and convicted uh, concerning my own prayers because I mostly pray about what is close to me, what is mine, or, or uh, I'm interested in my family. They're always on my agenda every day, my friends, my, my church, uh, my suburb, my city, my country. So when I see someone extending himself or herself beyond the normal, beyond comfort zones, normally at great cost to self, himself or herself, I want to know why. I have a particular, I have some people that I look up to as doing the exceptional. One of those people would be John G. Patton. He was a missionary that went off and served the cannibals. And uh, wh- why would anybody do that? Why would they leave the comfort of their home and church and family and, and go and serve in a place that, that their lives would be vulnerable? And in fact, the unfolding of his life years thereafter, uh, lost, losing wife, losing children, yet persisting in seeking to honor God. And so I ask myself, what is going on in, in his mind, in, in people like that? Uh, what's going on in their hearts to stir them to such heights of interest and action? I want you to think about that this morning. And especially because Nehemiah is such a man. Nehemiah, living as a second generation uh, Jew in exile in Persia, He had in that particular situation risen to a place of prominence, comfortable in his situation. His life was smooth. There were not too many difficulties. He was cupbearer to the king. And yet we find as we uh, read this entire book, and I'd encourage you to do that. We're not going to be moving through the book. But you see something of this intense interest in things that are far away, that are outside of his comfort zone. He's willing to do things at cost to himself. And so what is it, as we, we consider these opening verses, and I'll be touching on something of the rest of the chapter, I want to know what is it, what is it in him that stirs him, that prompts him, that that moves him to do these unusual things for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of God. What's the trigger that fires this man into action? But I want to take a step back as my first point this morning, and, and, and we do need to always do some soul searching. And, and, and therefore, identify the triggers in your life. What, what moves you as an individual to do what you do? 
So let me again and, and use myself as an example, and, and this is a demonstration, I think, of the flesh that I still struggle with in, in what God is doing in my own life. When I received that message on Tuesday morning, it appeared on my phone, and, and it came from somebody that I don't often hear from, and I I looked down on my uh, phone. I was in a meeting with the rest of the staff. I opened the message. I immediately walked out of the meeting. Without hesitation, I phoned, of course, my son. I offered to drive down to Peter Maritzburg immediately to help him any way I could. And so as I think about that, and I use that illustration, what moved me to do that kind of thing? What, what moves you to do what you do? Well, when you love someone or something, it's not burdensome to stretch yourself without question to be with them or to help them. So love is a trigger that moves any one of us in what we do in life, in stretching ourselves beyond the normal. Another illustration is uh, we have had and do have a community patrol system in Linwood Ridge. That's the suburb that I live in. And so for some time, once a month or so, sometimes more than once a month, in the middle of the night, I committed to a two-hour stint of driving around with one of my neighbors patrolling the area. It's not something I did with great enthusiasm. I can tell you that right now. But the underlying sensitivity of duty moved me to do something which I did not really feel like doing or want to do, something that took me outside of my comfort zone of sleeping throughout the night. Jesus points out another trigger that we ought to consider. It fires people into action. He speaks of this in Matthew chapter 6. He there challenges his hearers not to be generous, not to pray, not to fast, to make ourselves look good in the eyes of others around us. Jesus knows that in the heart of man, uh, there is that tendency to do the right things for the wrong reasons. And so this, this trigger, this trigger of, of making oneself look good and doing things for the sake of reputation. And so what is it then? What is the trigger that fired Nehemiah to stretch himself outside of his comfort zone Great cost and great uh, uh, discomfort to himself. Well, let's have a look at the passage. Nehemiah has an interest in the city of his roots, which is Jerusalem. The concern, if you look at the passage, and certainly if you see the book unfolding, goes much deeper than just sentimental attachment. It's not just because this is a family of his roots. This is not just because of national history as a Jew. He knows something of what has happened and how God has spoken and revealed himself to those people, to them as a people. Just to give you one indication, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 9, in the context of his prayer, as he comes to God acknowledging his sin, uh, he, he quotes what God had spoken to them. He says, uh, in the words of God, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place 
that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. So there's a clue for us. Nehemiah has in his mind something of what God has said about the promise of his presence and his reputation amongst the people. Now to go back to us. I do think that most of us are easily moved by love. Love for the people close to us. I think most of us are easily moved by duty because we feel an obligation to do what we need to do. And then there is those, or there are those occasions where we are moved simply to protect our reputation. But what is that? Isn't that a focus on self-interest, mostly? Isn't it that my loved ones, my reputation, my duties, my ministry, and, and, and so is there not something more that ought to move us in ministry in the local church. And I do believe that there is something that we can learn here from Nehemiah. He does, he does not have self at the center. God is at the center. The underlying sensitivity, and there are those others, no doubt, love and duty and, and reputation, they're there. But the underlying sensitivity of this man's heart is the glory of God. And I, and I want us as a church to again reflect on that. Let me read verse 11 from chapter 1. This, this is how he prays. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants, us together, who delight to fear your name. You see, that's where his focus is. That's where his heart is at. And give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. I believe, I'm convinced, that is a need that we all constantly need to return to. If you're there, wonderful. The challenge is to remain there, to constantly be there. Everything as those who delight to fear in the name of God. Our default interest, in, in all honesty, and, and I would say that this morning uh, myself, my default interest is self. It's, it's easy to be concerned about my things. The natural inclination is personal interest. I'm convinced it's why Jesus, when teaching his disciples to pray, in the opening phrase said this, Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Because our tendency is not to hallow or make holy or lift up or exalt the name of God. And so we need constantly to be praying, which leads me to my second point. Pray for the awe of God to be your trigger. To be that which moves you and motivates you. It is in the nature of those who belong to the kingdom of darkness to curse God and exalt self. I don't think there's any doubt in any of us to see that this is characteristic of those in rebellion to God. I go to an extreme example in Revelation chapter 13 where we have some insight into the character of the beast. And uh, recorded for us over there, the beast opened his mouth 
to blaspheme God and to slander His name and His dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-kingdom of light. And, and we live in a world that, that seems at the present moment to be moving into to a place of antagonism against the greatness and the majesty and the holiness of God. Did you see, some of you see the terrible uh, clip that went around, uh, put out by one of our political leaders this week. And I'll quote, I'll quote, it horrified me, it, 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 it disgusted me, it disturbed me. This, this was, these were the words. We are not religious. We are not waiting for Jesus. We are Jesus. Some of you saw that. That's the kind of world we're living in. That's the country. That's our context. That is a political leader that has influence in the lives of people. God blaspheming, God insulting, God slandering, self-exalting society. You know, you know what came into my mind? Herod. Remember Herod? When he would not give God the glory, he was eaten by worms. That's the extreme. The challenge to us is more the subtleties. We, we believers so easily can slip and, and we can live in a place where selfish agendas thrive. We constantly need to be praying, hallowed be your name. Lord, you be exalted. You be at the center. You be uh, in control. You are supreme. You are great. As we worshiped in song this morning. And so we, we want to, as a church, be praying that we revere the name of God. That God would be lifted up in our thinking, in our daily lives, from the ordinary, from the mundane, from the periphery, to the center, so that we exalt Him as the highest and, and, and to the most important place and position. It does mean honest self-reflection. It does require us to, to sit around the Lord's table when we do that. It requires us on our own to be straining out, out and filtering out these selfish and, and sinful leanings, to, to be honest about a, a sinful nature that is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. The likeness of Jesus, the consuming passion of our Lord Jesus to glorify His Father. John chapter 17. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Glorifying God is the object of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 12. Father, glorify your name. It, it, it ought to be that for us. The chief end of man and woman and children is to glorify God. It's the purpose for which the world was created. That, that's where we find meaning. It's the end for which we are called and converted. That, that God would be exalted. That we would not be at the center. It's the chief thing that we should be seeking. The Apostle Peter reminds uh, the scattered church in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says to them, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And so now coming back to Nehemiah, God had so stirred in Nehemiah's heart and soul that he was passionate about making known this greatness and this awe, this excellency of God in the city 
of promise that was now laying in ruins. And so thirdly, I'm going to go now look at some of the issues, the consequences of pulling the right trigger. When the name of God is the main and central underlying sensitivity, not reputation, not duty, not self, not love, I'm telling you, it will fire God's people into gospel ministry, God-exalting gospel ministry. And I want to look at some of the practical ways in which the awe of God moved uh, Nehemiah, and I'm convinced will move us and does move us as well. Number one, the awe of God will lead you to have a kingdom-centered interest. We have to be thinking. We need to be mindful that we live in a world where there's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And we ought to be daily aware of the battle that is undergoing, that is going on, and that in the kingdom of light we have victory, but we need to stand firm. And so Nehemiah has an interest here in the city of God, in the people of God, and the reputation of God. Verse 1. It happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th years. I was in Susa, the capital, far away. That Anani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, concerning Jerusalem. He has an interest in God's uh, work, God's city, and, and God's people. And we see something over here that God's passion, God's interest, becomes the interest of his servant. Way back. Genesis, we already see the calling of Abraham and the unfolding history of, of this chosen people, where God chose a place to gather his people, to make a dwelling for his name. And, and so God's heart becomes more of Nehemiah's heart. And we see in the unfolding of redemptive history that God, let's take it to the extension and the application. God continues to gather his people, not in Jerusalem, but in the church. Jesus gave himself for the church. And so the church ought to be on our hearts and on our minds. Every single professing believer ought to have a heightened sense of interest and concern for the body of Christ, where the name of God ought to be honored, where the presence of God, the presence of the Spirit of God is present. And so to ask you this morning, to ask myself, do, do I have this interest in the church? Do I understand what the church is as the body of Christ? For us as believers being brought and integrated into that body in union with Christ, with the job and, and, and the purpose that he has given us to serve. It only happens, it will only happen when we believers live in awe of God. Otherwise other things are going to come before we can't just have a casual interest or an unthinking acceptance when we claim to be professing believers concerning things of the kingdom of God. We ought to have a preoccupation with God and his kingdom. I love Pilgrim's Progress. I think I've said that many times before. And I was so moved when we watched that movie because uh, in the end, they get to the celestial city. And that's where we're going. That's where we're headed. This, 
We're on a journey. We, we, there's a, a passage. There's a pathway. There, there, there's, there's the unfolding purpose of God towards the end of glory. Number two. I think the awe of God opens one's heart to reported facts. Now, why do I say that? Is is because, I don't know if you found this in certain conversations. You go up to someone and there's this uh, superficial greeting that often we exchange with one another. How are you? And uh, the response is, how are you? And uh, it may have been a particularly difficult week and you begin to uh, share. But 10 seconds later, you notice the person who asked the question actually has no interest in. Isn't that true? You ever find that? I find that quite often. And, and that's not what we see in Nehemiah. He asks a question about the well-being, and then he listens. He carefully and attentively listens. He takes note of the detail in the response given. Verse 3, and, and, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile in great trouble and shame. You see, he's able to record, he's able to give facts. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And so again, as a church, we can, we can learn from this as we live in awe of God to, to do a better job in listening to each other. Listening, taking time to listen to each other. We have wonderful fellowship times after the service here. Great opportunity to, to ask questions of, of others and listen to where they're at and what they're rejoicing in and what they're struggling with in the small group home, home Bible study and, and even beyond Central Baptist Church. What is the state? Have you, have you thought about the state of the church in the world? If any of you have been following what's been happening in the church, the Anglican Church in England... There are those who are leading the church, the Anglican church in England, that are denying uh, orthodox Christianity that has been propagated for 2,000 years. They're just turning their backs on God, and they're the leaders of the church. I've come across just in the last couple of weeks, if those of you are interested in watching a YouTube channel, uh, clips at all, uh, a guy in the Church of England by the name of Calvin Robinson. I've been so impressed with him willing to stand up against the bishops and the archbishops and taking a stand on the scripture and for Christ and the gospel. The church is struggling in the broader context of the world. Uh, wondering also about people, people around us in the church, asking how they're doing, the needs that they have. What about the ministries of our church? Uh, are they all... Fully equipped and staffed with people. Uh, what about our missionaries? We have a missions uh, ministry in the church, a committee that meets every month, and 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 we try and reflect and 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 find out how are our missionaries doing. But but as as a broader context of the church, to ask those questions, to be interested, uh, is there a gospel project worth investing in? Which leads me to my third point. When when we begin to hear, when we begin to listen, when we begin to see then the awe of God also will make you fall on your knees. Nehemiah turns to God. It's the next passage from verse 4 onwards. As soon as he heard these words, 
As soon as he heard the response, as soon as he understood the need in the light of the awe of God and the promises of God and the plan of God, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. His heart was for the things of God. He holds God in awe. And he understands his dependence on God. It's not mere lip service. He believes that God is powerful. That God is at work. That God is going to. And man, if you read this book, there's so many miracles that take place in the unfolding, in the practical work accomplished in the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem. You see, prayerlessness is actually symptomatic of a lack of an understanding and an experience of the awe of God. People who pray are motivated by the awe of God. And my last point, and this is going to be an application for us today as well, the awe of God will move you into action. Nehemiah is moved. There's the trigger. That's where I started this morning. What moved this guy to, to, to step out of his comfort zones? Never hesitating to get his hands dirty, getting the job done. When individuals or groups are gripped by the awe of God, it's the common factor, it's, it's the one thing that moves people, has moved people, will move people down through the ages. What about Central Baptist Church? A couple of examples. Now I'm speaking about the awe of God being the trigger. It did so, the awe of God did so amongst a group of people back in 1891. Some of you know that. Newer people to our church don't know that. Central Baptist Church has its origin in the latter parts of the 19th century. We have this wonderful document. And I like to speak about that document that was written by those uh, founding members. And uh, just a, an excerpt from that particular uh, document. It's, it's hanging on the wall outside my office. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Do you get the picture of these people? Dependent on God, big picture of God, or of God, move them. This is the Lord's doing. Not this man, that woman, this is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Blessed be the name of the Lord from henceforth forevermore. 1891, and. Something yes. All right, you do the sums. It didn't end there. And I'm going to be speaking more of this in the next message as well. It did so. The order of God triggered the Central Baptist Church into action over the years in planting churches. Baptists don't normally have the intention of mega church buildings, and congregations. We have historically rather planted another church. And so Central Baptist Church, and these are just some of the churches, Hatfield Community Church was actually started by Central Baptist Church in South Street uh, in the early 1900s. Mordechlud Baptist Church, now known as Calvary Baptist Church, started by Central Baptist Church, that's in the Moot. Linwood Baptist Church in the east of Pretoria, started by a group from Central Baptist Church. Uh, the Lordian Baptist Church, started by lay people from the Central Baptist Church. 
Watercliff Baptist Church, big church now in Watercliff, many of you know it, started by members of the Central Baptist Church. Letlibile Baptist Church, Atinamans Kral, started again by members, lay members of the Central Baptist Church. Eastside Community Church, started by members of the Central, do, do you get the idea? That, that we are not static. We, we, we're not just here for us and, and we're comfortable and, and, and we're full and we have people sitting in. No, no. The, Centralites moved by the awe of God plant churches. Another one. The awe of God, he did so sending workers into foreign missions. So when I served at my previous church, we had a missions committee and we always, we struggled to know who to support because we had no missionaries from our church that we could support. We had to find missionaries elsewhere, which was great. I discovered something different at Central. So I've been here now nearly 25 years, and, and I'm just going to jot or mention some names that I've jotted down here. Uh, members, people that have gone out from Central, uh, stirred by the awe of God, by the call of God, for the glory of God, Andrew Murray. Many of you will know Andrew and Ronell Murray, who served in the Northern Cape region. Peter and Lisa Labaskachne, I remember them when I first came to the church, sent out to Mauritius from the Central Baptist Church. Thelma Mitford Barberton, who served at OM here in Pretoria for many, many years, Central Baptist Church. Uh, the Wools family, Fred and Suki Wools, who went out to China from the Central Baptist Church. Those of you at Glenhaven, Max and Christabel Ansel, after they retired, sent out to White River working as missions, uh, in missions in that area. Ray and Rona Oostay serving in uh, missions to the mine workers. Uh, Darren and Andrea van Rensburg, some of you still support them. Uh, Darren was a young boy when I arrived at this church. I remember him as a schoolboy serving now in Ecuador. Lauren McGill came to our church as a student, now serves in Central Asia, uh, serving as a missionary. The Craffords, we had them recently at the church, preparing to go to a place in North Africa we're not even supposed to mention in church. And then, of course, we have the Maidens here today who are going off back to China. Yeah. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Why is that, is my question. Why, why would these people step out from a comfort zone and do something at great cost to themselves? It's the awe of God that stirs men and women into action. And, and for those who are new in the church, let me tell you, did you know that at Central there were a group of people, the awe of God stirred them, Centralites, to take care of the elderly. And we today, as the Central Baptist Church, something that took place uh, in the 80s, establishing the Central Baptist Welfare Association, taking care of nearly 500 people in the city today. Glenhaven and Haven Village. We must not take for granted these great works of faith. Men and women stirred by God, by the awe of God, the glory of His name. And, and we can carry on. And, and uh, centralites moved, particular members of our church, to take care of vulnerable children. Americans coming out, establishing Bethesda, us getting involved. Uh, the, 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 the original organization that came out collapsed. And so this ministry was left, as it were, hanging uh, dry. And, but people stood up from central to say, we are going to step up to the plate for the sake of the name of God, for the sake of vulnerable children. And coming to Hill, the Hill Campus, the awe of God stirred us 
to move and plant another church here in the east of Pretoria. I preached a sermon at the outset of this ministry and explained the reason. It was from Psalm 89. And I think it's good for us to remember why did we come to the far east of Pretoria. There are religious people here. There's a Mormon church down the road, or I don't know if it's a church, a Mormon uh, gathering. There's, there's a Jehovah's Witness gathering, and, and there's a, a, another church here and another church there, and, and, and many churches. Why, why would we come to the east of Pretoria? Well, we, we believed that the name of God ought to be brought and exalted and have a kind of a ministry where God sets the agenda. And I'm going to say more about that. Let me read just some of the verses from Psalm 89. This is, this is the, 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 what moved us, what stirred us. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. We, we wanted people to see and experience and, and, and learn about this God. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in, in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. Do, do you get the feeling? And, and let's not wander from that pathway. God teaching us. God leading us. And I believe God enabling us. God having his hand upon us in growing. And I want to repeat this this morning. A church concerned with biblical Christianity. That's where we are. That's where we have been. That's where we're going. God setting the agenda. God continuing to set the agenda. Now here's the problem. Here's the danger. Falling into the temptation of stroking the likes and dislikes of people and the agendas. You can do that. You can gather crowds. You stroke people. You give them what they want to do. What they want. You, 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 you minister to self-interest. No, 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 no. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And so I remember in my own ministry over the years, a passage that I keep as foundational in my thinking, in my encouragement. We are to God the aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To some, with the aroma of life. And to others, we're the stench of death. That's the nature of gospel ministry. You can't please. You won't please everybody. We please God. And we please people who want to please God. That's where we go. And where we go at Central Baptist Church. More about that next time I come. I want to speak more about our, our vision and, and the work that I believe God is leading us to do in this place. I don't want to forget or neglect this morning the order of God moving many lay people. The list continues. Lay people who are, are stirred, have been stirred by the order of God, who serve God, uh, the cause of Christ, who do so faithfully and zealously in accomplishing much for His name. We have witnessed students graduating and moving. Some of you will remember some years ago, uh, students, two students in particular, they were twins, uh, Bronwyn and Geraldine. 
Geraldine passed away this past week. Cancer. Ach, Bronwyn. Sorry, Bronwyn. Bronwyn passed away. So Jamie went on to Bronwyn's Facebook and read to me uh, Bronwyn's last post before she died. It was so humbling, but so encouraging, so inspiring, just resting in the reality of what she knew was terminal cancer in God. God was doing the wisdom of God, the grace of God, her trust in God for her husband and her family. We had a pot, just a little pot in Bronwyn's life. I don't know, is it 20 years ago? I'm not sure when it was. They were such an, those twins were such an encouragement to Carol and I in this season, yeah. And so, folk, down through the years, here's where we're going. Down through the years, many members from Central have stuck their necks out in awe of a mighty God willing to dream, willing to get their hands dirty, stepping out in faith, taking certain risks in an effort to spread the gospel, going on to do great things in the kingdom, the gospel. And so we've been meeting here at the Hill now since 2012. It's now 2023. We constantly need to forge ahead. Cannot remain static. Uh, I believe that God challenges us constantly in our own lives not to remain static or uh, comfortable. Challenging us with our underlying sensitivities. What is it that moves us? What moves you in ministry? And, and, and asking this morning, am I, are you motivated by selfish reasons or by the awe of God? Surely we want to be motivated by the awe of God. The awe of God will continue and I believe is continuing to fire us into ongoing work as we constantly need to be dreaming new dreams, new projects, new challenges. A couple of them I want to mention this morning. We are at a stage where our ministry tools need to be upgraded or improved, both at Arcadia and here. We will be bringing a proposal shortly to our members here of opening up this particular tool, this building, and... uh, Extending some seating capacity, and we're going to be proposing a cry room, a mother's room on the side here. So that's that's coming. Something we believe we need to do just in the growth that we see taking place. We also, uh, I am certainly at a place where I would like to see our missions effort improve. I'm grateful to God for what he's doing and has done in missions for the many people who support missions and even our central budget that supports missions. But we can do better. Just an example at the moment, uh, Darren and Andrea need to get back for another stint of furlough. But we don't have the resources. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have the resources to bring them back? And, and so I'm thinking as a church, missions, how can we, how can we do better? in sending and supporting those who have stepped out going to faraway places. We have also embarked and will continue to develop our reach 
onto the university campus. It is difficult to do university ministry. The university, particularly tax, because tax is so surrounded by security and walls, you can't get in if you don't have a student card. Before years gone by, it was easy access. Now we struggle. And so how do we do that? Lord, give us wisdom, give us grace, give us uh, ideas on, on, on how to do this ministry. And then I wonder, and I do believe that we have to get to this. Isn't it time we start thinking of planting another church? I think so. And so, Lord, lead us. Guide us. Let us be a church that triggered into action by the awe of God. Holding hands together for the sake of his name, for the many promises that he's given, that people would know him and live in awe of him. And so, Lord, I pray to that end, lead us as elders, pastors, as members. Stir deep within our hearts, Lord, a growing love for you. But, Lord, in the adoration that we have, that we would be those who stand, as we've been singing this morning, in awe of who you are. Not lip service, but, Lord, coming from the very depths of our hearts and minds, in, in, in response to your revelation, in response to the work of your spirit. And guide us as we go into the future, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.